Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. With me today is my one of my special uh, returning guests, the guy that I call, help, I need somebody. And he comes on the podcast with me. Uh, Drew Baker, how you doing, Drew? Great, thanks, Steve. Always good to be here. Yes, just for a little bit of background, Drew is the Aussie that lives in California who's been living in Europe. So, <laughs> Not anymore, um, I'm back. <laughs> but he's back. He's back in the States after doing some uh, knuckle-dragging, I'm sorry, snowboarding. <clears throat> That's what we call the snowboarders in Utah. And then he's back in New York, as you can probably tell by some of the sirens you keep hearing behind yep. him. How you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, I've got a little snowboard trip to Utah, which was incredible. They broke the all-time record for snow the weekend I was there. Oh, wow. Insane winter in uh, North America right now. Yeah, it's all that global warming. I love it. Um, yeah, here in, in Oregon, it's been uh, really great with the snow, too. We've I've gotten into, back into skiing past couple, three years and because uh, a buddy of mine and uh, the snow, we've been getting tons of snow. Some days it's like two feet of snow, three feet of snow. Uh, last time I was up was about four days ago and uh, and tons of new snow. Took my son up. I'm going up again tomorrow. So, yeah, it's been really good here, too, in terms of the amount of snow and and uh, what it is for the skiing. It's always nice to get new snow, and especially with the amount we've been getting. That's going to be really great for spring skiing. Uh, here, the, the season generally goes to the end of May. Um, so, yeah, um, it's nice getting all that snow. Every time I look at the temperature, I'm like, what's it doing on the mountain? How much snow are they getting up there? Are they getting new snow? Everybody around here is like, it's cold. This sucks. I'm like, no, it's more snow. So uh, we wanted to, we're going to talk about a couple things today. Uh, Drew, as if you're a regular listener, you've heard him and and when we've had Daniel Rowe from the Next Core team on here talk quite a bit about Nuxt as he uses it in his day to day at Funk House. And so uh, it's been at least two or three weeks since we've talked about Nuxt. I was kidding. Um, and so wanted to talk about it again. Drew's had some recent experiences with actually starting to use the Nuxt 3 1.0 version and uh, his experiences with it. So fire away, Drew. Yeah, I thought uh, the real good place to start with Nuxt is the different like rendering modes because that's kind of the the main point. Well, one of the main points of Nuxt, um, if you haven't used it before, you know, it's it's definitely the way I describe you know Nuxt to people that aren't familiar with it. Overview is that well, it uses View as the templating part of it all, but it's opinionated on the structure of everything. So Nuxt is much more of a website building framework than where Vue is like a component framework or a templating kind of framework, I suppose. And so what Nuxt does is like kind of bundle in a bunch of things like page routing and some opinions on how to store state, stuff like that. But the rendering mode or the options around the rendering mode is the big thing that you want from Nuxt. And so, you know, let's talk about what those are. Um, so the sort of top level is you have, and I'll go into more details about these and the one the experiences that I've had doing this and, and what is the pros and cons in sort of the real world of using some of these things. But you have sort of five main ones. You have SPA, which is single page application mode. And that essentially is view, you know, uh, I'll get into the details of more, but the other one is server-side rendering. You'll see it written as SSR. 
And there's kind of like some flavors of that that we'll get into as well. Then there's SSG, which is static site generation. And then there's a new one now. Oh, there's a new two ones with the NUX3, which is ISG, which is incremental static generation. And then there's hybrid. And so those last two are really interesting and and very uh, useful and will solve some of the other problems in the previous three. So uh, let's talk about them. Uh, And then the reasons why you might want to use one over the other uh, is kind of important. So I think it's really good when you're looking at any technology is what is the thing you're trying to solve and what is the point, not just using it for the sake of using it. And so when we're building a website at Funkhouse, like the the thing that we will start asking ourselves in terms of how we're going to host this thing or this website is, is the time to live of the content important? So once a piece of content gets published, either through the CMS or if you're using like a repo-based content system like Nux content, where you can just like leave markdown files in your code, how how long is too long for that to happen from someone editing content to being live on a website? Because that's that's the main thing that all of these rendering modes are trying to sort of solve is, is that. Combined with, is the time to like interactivity important as well? So if someone comes to your website, do they need to be able to see everything instantly? Or can you like boot up and show a little loading spinner while stuff happens? Uh, even if that loading spinner is really fast, you know, if you're using a certain, some like the SPA approach, for example, there's nothing coming off the server really, and it gets all built client side. So there is a bit of a delay there. And that sort of feeds into one of the things that's been the most important and the hardest lesson learned for the work that we've done, which is the SEO factor. Is what you're building need to show up in Google search results? Because if it does, essentially, does it need to be like machine readable or like crawlable by a bot? (laughs) If it does, then SPA approach is not going to work. So those are the main ones. And And then the last one, which is also something to consider, is the cost of hosting. Because some of these are significantly more expensive than the others to host, especially at scale or like you know, when you have a couple of thousand people a day looking at something, which is something that, you know, not everyone has to deal with, but certainly like the kind of stuff we do, we have to think about that. So that's kind of like the criteria of making a decision. And now I'll talk about the different approaches and how those criteria kind of relate. So the, the, the first one, single page app, SPA mode, that is very much just view three. You, now you can run Nuxt in this mode as well. And, and we certainly do as well, if you want all of the sort of like configuration and opinionated benefits of Nuxt. But mostly if you're just running straight view three app, just vanilla, like regular style, not doing anything special with rendering or anything, you're probably using SPA mode. And so what that means is your HTML file, like if you inspect the source of your site or of a view site and there's only like one div in there that's normally like ID app and that's kind of it. And maybe you have some stuff in the head and some HTML, but there's no real like content in the in the source code. That's an SPA app. And so what is happening there is you're visiting the site. The server gives you this like essentially like an empty HTML file or close to empty. And then client side, you load up all of the JavaScript and build out all of the elements and then loading or hydration 
hydrate in all of the data. And so that takes some time. Now, it's really efficient in terms of server resources because you're only serving a static one, one HTML file. Um, and if you're doing that, you can post that anywhere. You just put it on you know, an old FTP site or anything, even something static like Vassell or uh, Netlify would be kind of overkill because it's not, there's no build process to any of that, really. You're just serving up an empty HTML file and that's it. You could put it anywhere. But that is not an <laughs> We learned this the hard way at Funkhouse. That is very not SEO friendly. Now, Google kind of makes the claim that they will render JavaScript apps. Uh, and I think they have a certain like time, like if we load it up in a certain amount of seconds, we'll crawl it and use that for search results. In my experience, that is all BS. That we, we've never seen that happen. We have built huge sites that were running in like SPA mode, sort of counting on that Google sort of lie <laughs> and got terrible search result, like just massive drop off in search uh, afterwards and then convert the same view site into like a Nuxt static site or a service side rendered site and had the search SEO pick right back up again. So it's, if you are building a site that needs to be like indexable, then SPA mode is just terrible for you. Uh, well, it's by itself. It is. I mean, to go to your point about Google, uh, I'd have to find the episode, but on JavaScript Jabber, uh, we interviewed a Google search uh, DevRel person, developer relations person. And I specifically asked about oh, nice. indexing of SPAs uh, in JavaScript. And I'd have to go back and find the response. But the gist was, yeah, we've gotten better at that. Um, <laughs> yep, you know, because the whole issue, obviously, is, and this has been talked about ad nauseum, you know, everywhere, is that when the page purge loads, there's no data because it has to hydrate. The JavaScript has to go get the data and hydrate it. And so in that time, the Google bots, oh, there's nothing here. I'm going to go away. Uh, so, um, yeah, but they've said, oh, no, it's better. We can really do that better. Well, yeah, I've always taken that with a grain of more like a shaker of salt, not just a grain of salt. Yeah, um, me too. And there's ways around it. You know, for, at, at my place, we have a Vue 2 app that's backed by Laravel, and we use Rendertron. Yeah. Uh, which is basically another library that basically creates indexed content for the bot when it comes around. And so when the bot comes around and sees, hey, here's all this content, let's index it, even though it's an SPA, but it's a lot of extra work and, and so on. And I know Net Netlify has a pre-rendering service, I believe that you can enable for SPAs that does exactly the same thing. You know, it's going to provide pre-rendered content for the bots when they come indexing. So there's ways around it, but to your point, strictly as an SPA, Google's not going to, you know, it doesn't seem that Google's really going to index it as well as they do a static site. Or totally a, not. A no, yeah, site, and side rendered site. Yeah, uh, there's always a million ways kind of around these things, and like that pre-rendering part of Netlify is something that we've experimented with before um, as well. But the other one that that depending on what you're building is something to think about if you're building an SPA site is if you want that to be like shareable on uh, like. Twitter or you know LinkedIn or or something like or Facebook and you want the little preview image you know to show up and be relevant and with the like content because really all, all that Facebook is doing there is reading your source code looking for open graph tags OG image OG title whatever and if you're an SPA think those don't exist either 
And so that that's something to consider when you go SBA, um, which is something that's bit us in the butt before as well. Uh, so we don't do a lot of SBA stuff for that anymore. The only ones that we've, when we use SBA now, is for apps that require login. So if you're built, we've built some like task management kind of apps and those all can run SBA mode. Um, so that, that's that's when I would go SBA. They're really cheap to host. And if, if they're not needing to be search searchable, then that's a great option. So that's SPA mode. Uh, now, the next step up is SSR. Um, now, there's a million different terminologies for all these things, but in the Nux world, SSR can kind of mean a few different things. But essentially what it means is there is a node server somewhere that is rendering all of the HTML and then giving that to the client. So when you request a website, there's a node server that builds out all the HTML and sends that as a file to the user. And you, so you're basically getting a HTML file and then view loads up client side. So all the interactive stuff happens. But the HTML file generally, and should be, if it's in Nuxt, it needs to be unchangeable for the first initial load. Uh, so, you know, there's some considerations when you're building those things, like the real common one that we, like a, a, a Nuxt rookie will do is like build something that relies on like window size, you know, and if there's the window is greater than 750 pixels wide, go to two columns or something like this, right? And if you write that in JavaScript, Nuxt will have a real problem with that because when it builds on the server, there is no window. So it's giving you this static file with some assumptions on window size being nothing. And then it gets to your, your browser and you have a window size and things change and it doesn't like that. So those are like the mindset that you have to get into when you start going away from SPA and into like server rendered stuff. So server side rendered, what we will use that for is when a client comes to us with a site that has a requirement for time to live of content to be like zero. They want to click publish and it shows up on the website. And that is like really popular in big media websites, you know, big news websites, or um, those are the main ones we've used it for, or e-commerce, it's important as well. But so like, if you look at any of the stuff that we've done, Flood Magazine or Torment Magazine, big snowboard magazine, actually, um, those are, uh, well, Flood is actually server-side rendered because they publish music, music news and it needs to be really instant and then torment they're okay with there being sort of a five to eight minute delay you know a bunch of snowboarders we're not not really we're okay we can be chill uh, <laughs> they they that can be um static that's a static rendered one so the main reason that you would want to be ssr or is for speed um speed of publishing but the downside to ssr is it's really, it's of all these hosting options, it's the most expensive one because you have to have a, a Nux service or a, a node server somewhere that is handling all the requests and can deal with the traffic. Now you can put all that behind CDNs and, and different caching strategies and stuff, which we've also done, but it's it's no way around it. It's way more than like the other hosting options we're talking about in terms of the cost. Uh, but it's great for SEO because the server is just outputting HTML all the time. So whenever Google or any you know Twitter or Facebook or anything crawls the site, they're just seeing like complete site code. So that's been great for that. Um, 
Yeah. So for in our, in our case, like we host a lot of that stuff on Heroku, but any kind of node server scenario would work um, for that. Yeah. So that's, that's SSR. Uh, now, the next iteration of all of that is called SSG, which is static site generation. And that's the one that was like populated, popularized, popularized by Netlify and Vercel. And that's like very Jamstack um, evolution. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, the Jamstack acronym right there, right? Yeah. So what that means is, and and it's it's a little bit of a, a mind bender for us JavaScript client-side people. But what that means is in the Nuxt world is Nuxt has a built-in crawler. Now, you could do this without using the crawler eventually, but the crawler sort of was an iteration that made this really user-friendly, which was you code out your website in Nuxt view, deploy it to your GitHub repo, and you could even just run this locally in, in Nuxt. It's um, npm run generate. Uh, and what it does is it will load the first page that it knows about, which generally would be your homepage, like your index.view file. And it will look through the source code from that output and look for all of the, the Nux links, which are which is Nux version of like router link in view, and follow that to the next URL and like build out a list of all the URLs it can find on the website and then statically generate the HTML for every one of those pages. And then savor that in one folder, in a distribution folder, just dist, in the case of Nux, like defaults. And so you'll end up, you can look at it. It's really interesting. You'll end up with like, you know, it depends on how big your site is and how many page routes you have, but thousands are just HTML files. And then that goes on a CDN in the case of Netlify and Vercel. And whenever a user requests a URL, the first thing they're given is just a static HTML file. So that, and it's pre-built and everything. Like if you, if you as long as you haven't kind of made some mistakes, what you, what the user will get is the is the first page of the website and then from then on you're browsing around the website clicking on links and stuff it's all client side and all of that is happening client side now and if you've done it kind of the way that nux wants you to you'll never even hit the api behind the scenes like if you had it connected to a C cms you'll never even hit any of that it'll it's like serverless it's just static files and nux does a whole bunch of magic to kind of like bring down just the, the JavaScript you, you need for the page you're looking at. So if you're like, you know, on the homepage, it doesn't load the contact page JavaScript. So it keeps everything very chunked and minified and all that stuff. It's brilliant. It's very smart. But the beauty of this is you get this, the advantage of SEO because it's static files. You get insanely fast time to interactivity because like what... Crazy is, fast. It's, it's crazy it's fast amazing. it's already right there. You know, yeah. you don't have to go get anything. It's already there. It's amazing. Uh, and you get a really, really cheap cost, cost of hosting because you're just serving up static files from a CDN. So there's no hosting really behind the scenes other than this initial build time. Now, depending on what kind of website you're building, that build time can be nothing. Like if all you're doing is updating a site once or twice a year and the content doesn't change very much, you don't need a CMS of any sort. You, you know, maybe you, depending on what you're doing, like a lot of people might, um, it's very common to use something like this for uh, docs, for like a plugin or like a script that you've built or something. 
you know, you're not changing that content very much. And if you are, you're changing it in a repo. So Nuxt has a whole thing called Nuxt content, which is like markdown files that sort of serve as like a, a CMS. It's, it's brilliant. It's really smart the way they've done it. So, you know, if you need to change something, you're just changing it in a CMS and then deploying it. So you could just be deploying static files all the time if you wanted to host it on just like a CDN style host. Um, but we, we use mostly um, a CMS. SSG is really, really fast. Uh, and the time you're in interactivity is crazy because you're giving up, you're giving out straight HTML to the user. And so there's no load time while you're waiting for an SPA to boot up. That all happens in the background, obviously, but it, it's booting up what you're already looking at. Uh, so it's very, very fast. So then the, the, the other thing to think about is how you're getting content into this. So if you're, if you're just building a website like a, a docs website for a, a view plugin or something, which is quite common, you, you can store your content in the repo, in your like code. And Nux has a whole module for that called Nux content, which is just like markdown files. And so then your CMS is essentially lives in your, in your repo. And so then whenever you generate a, a new version of your site, you're just deploying straight static HTML. So you could do that in just a CDN type environment without any kind of node server or anything because you could just run it locally and then just like upload HTML files basically. But for the, what we do at Funkhouse, we, you know, 99% of the time we have a CMS connected to it. So we'll have a backend running. Uh, and then when you upload your repo to Netlify or to Vercel, um, what it will do is it will boot up a node instance on Netlify and start crawling every page of the site on Netlify and copying down that HTML and leaving it on Netlify and then deploying it. And so you have like a connection between Netlify and your CMS to say, whenever my CMS updates, hey, Netlify, rebuild. And that has a huge advantage in that you're hiding the backends. So like a lot of the times the like vulnerability and the security of things is the, the servers, people, you know, hacking in, like in our case, we're using like WordPress as a CMS or something. There's a big concern about hacking WordPress or like, you know, breaking into our CMS. That is all very hidden. Like publicly, it doesn't, it's not even accessible. Or if it is, it's only one endpoint that is accessible and everything else is locked down. Uh, so you get a big security boost when you go SSG as well, because again, you're just dealing with static files. Yeah, I've done it both ways. I had one little blog site where I used, uh, it was just little blog stuff. So I used markdown files uh, in my editor and, you know, commit those to the repo, the GitHub repo, and and that would trigger Netlify and Netlify would build it and, you know, you're off and running. And I have other ones with the Next2 site um, that's backed by Prismic, you know, an online, you know, uh, CMS. And I, you know, do my content in there and, and set it up and it builds and fast as heck, secure and and does everything I need. And then I just use, you know, there's like a contact form. So I just use the built-in Netlify forms capability for that. Netlify handles that for me. And so, yeah, it's a, it fast, it's quick and and uh, even has a little bit of interactive functionality built in. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about, you mentioned Prismic there. Prismic is, a, is an incredible CMS. Um, that's a static generated headless CMS, which is weird to think about. Whenever you update something in Prismic, 
and you, you also like click deploy, I think is the, even the word they have, or publish. What that is doing is that static generates the API, <laughs> so which is wild to think about. So your publishing content on Prismic is working very much the same as the static site on NUC. So the whole thing is like just static files, even on the front end and on the API end. It's just so fast to do that. I, really, I don't understand that. Explain what you yeah. mean. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's mind-bending. So whenever you change something on Prismic, mm -hmm. it generates static JSON files of the API. Okay. So, you know, like when we build a website, the static output is a HTML file. Well, you know, could be just a JSON file, right? And that's what it is. So whenever you're mm -hmm. like querying stuff on Prismic, really what you're getting given is static JSON files. Oh, interesting. And so that's why the Prismic API is insanely fast. Uh, oh, okay. It's, it's, it's wild. The static site generation thing is like a real, um, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know how it can get faster than that because it's the theoretical, you're just passing around files. So, And then what's even more interesting you can do is, uh, I investigated this for another site I was working on for a small business where, you can set up webhooks between Netlify and Prismic so that anytime you make a change in Prismic, it automatically rebuilds your site on Netlify. Yeah. So you don't even have to manually go in and rebuild every time you change content. So for, you know, when you're doing something for, uh, you know, a non-technical user, a business owner, all they got to do is go in, change the content. Okay, that's good, save. And then you don't, you know, nobody has to go in and build or you don't have to do it or you don't have to set up fancy scripts. You just point your webhooks at each other and and it does it for you. Yeah, there's a bunch of development developer experience stuff too that comes out of Netlify. I mean, it's hard to talk about this without just coming off as this giant ad for Netlify, but it's pretty right. pretty good to work with. Just uh, to clarify, we are not sponsored by Netlify <laughs> no, at this time. No, not yet. Um, in fact, it's the other way around. I spent a ton of money with them. <laughs> 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 but anyway, uh, the so the downside to static site generation is time to publish now what that means is if you like like for example with before i was talking about flood magazine and then the other one torment magazine so flood is server-side rendered it's hosted on heroku when they publish something it appears instantly very expensive to host and has to be able to handle the traffic and all this kind of stuff and we have to have some specific like cdn layers in front of things and hmm. we're using like a graphql cdn as well called stellet to handle like all the traffic that they can get. Torment, hosted on Netlify. Now, they have, like, Flood has about 10,000 um, news articles over years and years and years of publishing content. So when you publish something in um, static site generation mode, what it's doing, is, like I said before, it's crawling the site and collecting all the URLs and building all the pages. Now, even if you have each one of those taking a second or two seconds to, to build times 10,000, you're talking about 10, 20, 30 minutes. So once a new piece of content publishes, you've got to build every route unless you get real granular. And you can control this stuff if you want to and get real granular about like when this page changes, I only need to generate these kinds of pages and it gets really complicated. Um, just out of the box, it's going to build every page for you. And so when you're dealing with pages with lots of page routes, it takes forever, you know, like 
in our experience, most pages, most sites that are running in SSG mode take between two to 10 minutes from when a new piece of content changes to the site going live. Uh, and depending on what, what the client and what the contents of the website is, that might not be a problem. You know, most people, if their website takes 10 minutes to update, it doesn't really matter. But if it's like timely stuff like news or anything like that, it's a problem. Now, in the torment world, they're okay with 10, 12 minute build times. It's fine. But that's the big advantage to SSG. Which gets us to the next one, which is like, oh man, I wish there was a sort of a combination of both, <laughs> which is the new, the new, new in, uh, in NUX3. And that's called ISG, which is incremental static generation. Uh, I'm not actually sure if this is in NUX, like the, the like released version. I think it's in release candidate. Um, I saw, I certainly couldn't actually find anything on their um, NUX.com about this yet. But I have seen the GitHub commits for it and, and Daniel Rowe and a bunch of people talking about it. So if it's not in Nux yet now, it's coming very soon. Well, just to interrupt here, Daniel just messaged me right before we got on. Oh, nice. I don't know if you saw the message that I, that I put in the chat. Uh, but he says it's implemented. So I'm not sure if the docs need to be updated, but basically it's done with route rules. You set SWR to true yep. or to a number of seconds. Nice. So there you go. Breaking news. Uh, Breaking no, news. it's definitely on, not in the you. docs yet. <laughs> um, so how to enable it? I'm actually not sure. Like there, then there should be a, there's a configuration that's also not in the docs called target. And in, in your Nux config file, if you set target to, uh, I, it's probably ISG, but I couldn't find the docs on it. Um, and then set up your route rules for it. And SWR, what he's talking about there is called stale while, ref stale while, Refresh, I think, that's what that means. And so what that's saying is there's a couple of different ways to configure ISG, but before I get into that, what is ISG? So what it means is when you come to the website, if you're the first person to look at it, it will be building it and giving it to you. So you'll the first time up, you'll basically get a server-side rendered, an SSR version of the site. For the, for the first person. So that has all the downsides of SSR, SSR which is like server load and you, you know there's a little bit of time there because the server has to build it and give it to you and all that kind of stuff. But the next person will basically get an SSG page. So, you know, if you're okay with the first person being slightly slower and then the rep, you know, when I say slower, we're talking about, you know, 100 milliseconds, like we took small. Um, right, almost not humanly noticeable. Yeah, right. is the idea, yep. After that, it's static file all the way. And so you get the benefit of both without having to have the build times. And then you can, you can um, handle, that's what the SWR setting is for. You, what happens if that page doesn't exist? Should we rebuild a new one and give it to you? Or should we give you the old one that we used to have? while the new one before, you know, so you can handle those um, scenarios uh, in, a, in a way that makes sense for whatever it is you're building. You know, like if, if you're okay serving up the old version, then, then there will never be any slowdown, you know, because we're building it as we go. So that is the holy grail at the moment is these ISG approaches. Uh, and then the, the, the final, well, so the downside to ISG 
is going to be the hosting setup. Now, they've gone to a lot of effort to get this working in Netlify and Vassal and everything. So you can have the, the, the static hosts work with this using like all of the serverless functions that they provide. So the hosting costs won't be as significant as SSR. They'll be very similar to SSG if, when, if you use this, which is very exciting because the Netlify hosting is so cheap. Um, I mean, I just, you know, for some comparison out there, we, we host, I think, a couple hundred websites at the moment on Netlify, you know, and it's like a couple hundred bucks a month, you know, mm. it's, and that's because we're using all these team functions and stuff because they kind of bill you per, per seat. But on Heroku, it's so expensive. You know, it's, it's 20, 40, 50, couple hundred bucks per website, depending on how much traffic you get. Oh, geez. It gets real expensive. Uh, and then when you're using a Roku out of the box, you don't really get any kind of CDN or caching performance or anything like that. So you, so for us, we have to put that stuff in front of it. So we have like Cloudflare in front of some of this stuff and it's even more money. So like, I'm very excited about ISG. It's like one of the main things that I want out of Nux 3 is, is ISG. So uh, yeah, the first place I remember really seeing that done, because that was sort of the holy grail for a long time from static sites is the rebuild. You know, if a smaller site, not so big of a deal, but when you get into larger sites, then it's an issue. But the first place I really remember seeing it implemented sort of the first to market, for lack of a better term, was Gatsby. Mm. And it wasn't with the self-hosted. You had to host it on Gatsby Cloud. But when you did, then they had the capability to to do incremental Amazing. And recommendable builds. And I know it's been coming along in other places since then. Yeah. I know Next, I mean, like most things, like Next.js had it for a while and now we get it in Nux, but that's exciting. So then in the fifth mode that's worth talking about that you can do in Nux 3.2 is called hybrid. And so hybrid rendering is what if you have a website where you have a bunch of marketing pages and then you have a login page. And then after the login page, it's all protected. So you'd want to be able to configure certain routes to have this one be static rendered, this one to be SSR, this one to be SPA mode, and you know pick which parts of the website should be rendered in certain ways. And that's what hybrid rendering is. And you can do that through configuration in, in Nux 3, um, which would be useful for anyone building uh, you know, sites that have a logging component that also have a big static component to it, uh, which would be most like e-commerce sites and things like that would have that. Uh, so that that's the that's the sort of overview of all of the different uh, rendering modes in in Nuxt and websites at the moment. Uh, it's complicated, but it's good to have options. So here's a question: um, I never really heard this described well, and I'm sure the descriptions are out there. What is it about incremental rebuilds that make it so difficult? Yeah, that'd be a good question, I guess, for Daniel and the Nux team. But as far as I understand that to be, it's, you can imagine from the server infrastructure, like what is going on there. Like when it's static generated, the server is not really exposed to the public, you know, like it's like in Netlify's case, your node server is not publicly accessible other than through serverless functions. And so when you visit a website you on Netlify, you're just getting given static files. But if we want, so that's easy to do. And then if you're like server-side rendered, like Netlify isn't doing that. You know, they don't 
I imagine like they don't have any infrastructure to handle that. That was all like Heroku. So you kind of have both. Like I've hosted static on Heroku because essentially you can just upload files, you know? And so you can do that on Heroku. But on sites like Netlify and Vassell, like they were never, never thinking that this stuff would be publicly accessible beyond serverless functions, which, you know, for other people listening is like Lambda functions and stuff, like these one-off functiony things, not handling like user traffic, you know? And so I think combining those two things is tough because like we've got to serve up this static file or let's generate it and basically put that static file in the just distribution folder you know so there's a lot going on there and yeah like all the config that goes with it like when is this stale and stuff you know so i think that would probably be my my main guess as to why that would be complicated but yeah fascinating question i'm sure the nux guys would have a lot to talk about cool so i think we've covered we covered all the modes or did i miss one? they're, they're the main five i think yeah there's, there's sort of other ver- smaller versions and different subsets like for example you can run Nuxt in SPA mode with server-side rendering turned on, you know, which does some weird stuff. Uh, it depends on, yeah, depends on what you're trying to do there. But the main five are the ones we, we cover. That's, that's certainly the ones that we, we use for most of the work we do. Yeah, I know. Now, some people like to use Nuxt in SPA mode, like for, say, an internal tool where SEO doesn't matter, Hill of Beans. Uh, because of some of the uh, built-in features like the routing, right? You're based yeah. on folders and directories um, and some of the other internal tools like that, even though you're not using, you know, as a server-side tool because of SEO, but that gives you some some features where you don't have to, you know, define all your routes and your routes files and, and so on. So I've seen that, that, and I've worked on sites like that before that, that, sort of mix things that way just because it, it takes a load off you in some configura- in some areas of configuration and setup. Yeah, then we've done that. We built this big task management app called Polaris. It's for like the construction industry. And that's how we did it. It's a Nuxt app that's running in SPA mode. Cool. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about before we uh, wrap things up is... Uh, View three, um, you know, I'm a little late to the game, although I try not to be too much bleeding edge. I bleed enough as it is. I don't need any more cuts from new technologies. And uh, so I've talked about it more in JavaScript Jabber, but uh, I have a project I've been working on for past two, three months uh, for an organization I belong to, a nonprofit. And it's just sort of an internal CRUD app just for managing membership and payments and that kind of stuff. And so my tool of choice has been uh, Inertia.js, uh, which is, um, for those of you who haven't heard me talk about it or are not familiar with it, is sort of a glue, allows you to plug and play between front and back ends uh, and does it in a way that's super fast because short description is it sort of hijacks your post request and communicates between the front and the back end, either with props and using some headers so that it doesn't do a page reload. So all you're basically doing is updating the content that you want to update on the site without sending a full page reload and, and page refresh. So it has adapters for the front end for Vue, for React, for Svelte, uh, and then backend libraries for Laravel, for Ruby, and I think there's ones for Node now. So you could mix and match Ruby with Vue or Svelte or React, or you could use Laravel with any of the three, you know, depending on your, your comfort level. 
And the docs really aren't that extensive. Uh, if you look at the inertiajs.com site, uh, because there's not a lot to it. It's not like a framework. It's not necessarily a library. I think of it as a glue uh, between the front and the back end that handles a lot of things for you. Uh, my, my, you know, my combination of choices, Laravel and Vue. And, uh, it's, and then what's nice is that Laravel, if you remember listening to my interview with Taylor Otwell, the Laravel creator back uh, a few months ago, talked about their distributions like Jetstream and Breeze. And so Breeze now, uh, is, you can uh, install it and it has inertia built in. And then you tell it, okay, I want to use Vue for my front end and Laravel for my back end. Well, it is Laravel, so you're already using Laravel. And then, you know, builds in Tailwind. And then what's really nice is they went away about six months ago, I think, roughly, they went away from Webpack to use Vite. So now it's crazy fast on the rebuild. I mean, I'm noticing when I'm working on it, I will make a change in a file. And even before saving the change, my page will be updated with what I just put in. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty fast. Um, and so everything is geared towards Vue 3. And I hadn't really used Vue 3 that much. So I sort of took the plunge and been using Vue 3 uh, with Laravel. I think I'm on Laravel 9 right now. Laravel 10 just came out, but I'm still on 9. And then Tailwind. And some of the things, you know, definitely takes some getting used to in Vue 3 versus Vue 2. Um, how props are defined, uh, how events are defined, um, you know, the whole setup script. It was initially, you know, script and you had, was it script? I think it was type equals setup or something like that. And now the script section is just script, you know, script tag and then setup in there. It's not like value equals script or something. It's just an attribute basically. And so that makes things a lot more simple uh, for writing your code. But it, it's nice that it's more uh, JavaScript-like, for lack of a better term, uh, because you know you just declare a function. My function is this. You know, a method. You define your, uh, you know, your props uh, or your just your your data values. You know, before in Vue two, it's data is a function that returns an object that contains your different data reactive data values. Now you just define them, you know, const uh, my value equals uh, whatever it is, but then you wrap it in the ref. So there's, you know, the ref wrapper that makes it reactive. There's ref and reactive, and there's, you know, minor discrepancies between the two in terms of objects versus scalar values and when to use one or the other. There's whole blog posts and documents written on that. Uh, but it's, it's it's pretty easy and clean to read. You know, you're defining your props. It's just a method. Pass in your find what your props are. Uh, may become automatically reactive. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. One of the and one of the things I noticed uh, was one thing I'd often wrestled with a feat, uh, a functionality is how you can define. And this is all documented in the in the view through documentation is how you can bind. Uh, elements between one a parent element and a child component. So the classic example is where I have a uh, uh, a table and I want to have a filtering field that that makes a call to the Laravel backend to get paginated data based on what I've typed into my search field. Now the interesting thing about inertia, and you have sort of have to understand this in order to work with inertia, is that the way that the data is passed 
from the back end to the front end is via props. It uses the inertia library that you install for Laravel and view um, in your in your Laravel controller method or wherever you're you know you're returning your data from could be in a in a uh, uh, a route definition as well if you want to be really simple is you say inertia render this page and you pass in the path uh, and name of the view component that you're communicating with and then you pass define the props that you're passing back to your component and so this works only for components that are under the pages directory in your in your javascript structure well let's say you have you know, let's say I have an index component, a user index is a, is a pretty straightforward one. And then you have a table that's a child component of that index. And your search field is in the table, you know, component. Well, you have to have the, the data pass from the parent index component, not within the table itself. And that's above where your search field is. Because inertia again is is dude, you're specifically saying, okay, pass up to this component. You can't pass it directly to the table component. So now you've got to have that binding between the search field in your child table component and the actual method in your parent component that's communicating with inertia on the back end. Does that make sense? Well, I, my question is, what is the output from inertia then it sounds like it's actual html like or is it is it json that's getting passed into the view props it's replacing oh, yeah. parts of the page by the sounds of it right it's a standard view component with your template and your script and everything you just get the data passed in as a prop mm, and that's reactive and then you do whatever you need to do so laravel is like outputting html in this scenario no just data yeah you know in JSON, an array yeah. format and then yep. it converts it to json yeah Yep. that you read within your view component. And yep. then, you know, all your templating is done in, in your view component yep. or your front-end component. And so, it, and inertia is just sort of syncing up that data that's coming out of Laravel and like putting it into the right props in view, basically. Yep, that's exactly what it's yeah. doing. Yeah. And so, so anyway, one of the cool things I finally got my head around in view three is how you can easily sync between the parent and child component. Um, and it's documented on the view three documents. I can put a link in there, but it was really nice is that once you, you use emits and props and, and events, and you have to have them named in certain ways, certain names have to match up. So, you know, my parent, I'll have a table component, you know, just call it table, my table, whatever. And I'll have a prop that says, this is my search field. This is the text, right? And then you set a watcher on that search value in your parent component. Then in your child, you use that search as a prop, and then you admit event anytime it changes. So then it's synced with the search value, data value in your parent. You set a watcher on that. It does its thing with inertia and then passes it back. So everything's synced up nice and neat between a parent and a child. It was real easy to do a little. Um, to me, it was easier than it's done in view two, you know, having something like that. And I'll have to look up the term. Uh, in the docs. But yeah, that's that's one cool thing. Another thing, one thing that Inertia has that's really nice is a form helper that's built in because forms are such a prevalent part of any type of, you know, data-bound application like this one. And so you basically define your, you use the, def, there's a form helper that's built in that you import in your component and you use it and you say const form equals form, whatever. And then you put all your data values in there. So then uh, you can bind 
your individual text fields and text areas and selects and and that kind of stuff, you know, just with standard view, vbind to your form dot, whatever, my form dot name, my form dot address, my form dot city, whatever. And that makes it dynamic. So it's all contained in this form variable wrapped around the wrapped by the form helper. And then in your submit function, all you do is do form.submit to URL and it handles everything else for you and passes it to your, uh, to your uh, controller, you know, whatever's getting the, the, the post or the get or the, you know, the put on the back end. So it wraps it all up for you. You're not having to do a lot of the old manual work of synchronizing forms and, and setting it. And then there's other uh, parameters that you can pass to the, um, uh, to the, the form method that says, okay, don't reload everything, right? Preserve state, preserve scroll, uh, and then there's even, you know, like on success callbacks, there's all kinds of callbacks you can use, you know, if it's taking a while, you can show up, you know, a file or some sort of status method. Hey, this is still loading. Um, that, all kinds of little helpers and it just makes form handling and updating of the page much, much easier and very quick. So it's, it's really pretty slick. And then what I thought was interesting, I haven't played with this much and I know it's a user thing is they have, you know, obviously Primarily, this is going to be a, a SPA type of application on your front end, but they have a server-side rendering plugin uh, or capability uh, that says server-side rendering pre-renders your JavaScript on the server, allowing your visitors to see your website prior to the JavaScript fully loading. And it uses, so you you have to have uh, a node uh, on your back end wherever you're hosting your particular site um, to, to be able to handle that. Uh, but it's it's built into Breeze and Jetstream, the, the Laravel distributions. I'm not sure about, you know, Ruby or uh, Reactor or any of the other uh, distributions or, you know, or setups that are out there. But it's uh, it's pretty painless to set up, it looks like. And then, uh, but it gives you that server-side rendering capability along with the speed. But the one thing I've noticed, like I said, is uh, in the using v just your development speed is so much quicker in terms of page updates because i wrestle with webpack updates all the time on my day-to-day -day work and it's painful um and then um but the way that inertia uh handles everything the communication once you actually you know make a request it's just amazing how quick it is and easy i'm jealous of the form handling stuff you're talking about that's always oh. annoying especially when you're like in my world, we do a lot of stuff in GraphQL. And so dealing with, you know, like a select dropdown that is populated from data coming out of GraphQL that's generally in a different shape than the data you need to submit back. <laughs> it's like right. very annoying. <laughs> so that's Yeah, there's, useful. you know, it, and the form helper has some, some helpers built into it um, for things like uh, if you need to map over the data, maybe, you know, what's in your in your data it needs to be tweaked a little bit before it sends to the back end. Uh, so it, you know, there's some, um, some features like that, but it makes it nice in that it's only updating what it needs to, you know, it's not generating your whole page again with a full post request or um, stuff like that. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's pretty slick uh, little tool. So I love using it. Feeling good about view three then? I'm getting more comfortable with it. You yeah. know, I haven't, I haven't, you know, I can remember talking about when Verse 3 came, View 3 first started coming out and was a thing. And the big 
um, at least one of the big talking points for the composition API as compared to the option is the API is in terms of organization of code yep. and how you group everything together and you can have separate organizations and now you have what composables and things like that. Some of those things I really haven't taken advantage of yet. Uh, maybe just because I'm, you know, still getting used to view three and haven't really needed some of that. I don't think. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I, I can see how you do it and how some of these things could be useful, but uh, I haven't really dived into that extent of it yet. I'm sure I will down the road for sure. Yeah, my experience with it actually is pretty limited so far because we, we're so relying on Nuxt for all the stuff we do and Nuxt 3 having just sort of come out recently. You know, we, we started moving. So we have a, a boilerplate that's open source that we kind of use for the starting point of all the websites we build. And it's mm -hmm. on the Funkhouse repo if anyone wants to check it out. And I started the sort of process of making the Nux 3 version of that for our, mm -hmm. for our team. Uh, and just quickly ran into some roadblocks of things that we took for granted that aren't really ready for Nux 3 yet. Uh, some community modules, like the big one being Storybook. We use that a lot. And as far as I'm aware at the moment, there is no Nux 3 Storybook integration. So kind of like hit a roadblock pretty quickly. Uh, and then the other ones being sitemaps are really important for us. Being able to generate a sitemap is a mm. weird thing that might not be important for a lot of people, but for us with SEO stuff, it's really important. And uh, there's no good storybook, uh, sorry, there's no good uh, sitemap module yet. Uh, so got to wait for that. And then the other one is we do everything in GraphQL and there is not, we, there's a few different graphs, GraphQL solutions. Um, out there, like Apollo being the real popular one, but ah oh man, I right. hate, I hate Apollo. <laughs> Had such hard time with that thing. Uh, so we use one called GraphQL Request, which um, it's actually written well. It's a the Nux version of it is written by an Australian guy um, who's does some really good work. Goma G O M A M A H is his GitHub user. Anyway, uh, that's not out yet for Nux3. That There is a GraphQL Nux3 thing out there that's pretty cool. It does some, some interesting stuff. Basically, like, imports all your GraphQL queries as functions. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting. It's a, it's a new approach that I hadn't seen before. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty opinionated. That's, you end up with a bunch of functions in your code that you don't know where they came from, and you just have to know. Oh, all the ones starting with GQL mean that they're GraphQL queries, <laughs> but they look like functions. Right. And so I'm a little scared of that. Uh, it, it just can look, I don't know. I, I, whenever I see like a function that I don't know where it came from or where it's declared and it's just like magically injected, it starts to get confusing when you're dealing with big websites like that. So it's sort of a little scary, but I, I like the developer experience there. It sounds easy. So I have to sort of look at that one a bit more. And then there's anyone else out there that's dealing with Nux sites. There is a plugin function called enable preview that basically you can use to put a static generated or server-side rendered version of Nux into an SPA mode just on one request if based, we use it based on the query string. So if the query string has question mark preview in it, then load fresh data from the, from the API. Don't load the static stuff, oh, which is really important for like previewing content out of a CMS. And oh, that's cool. I haven't, okay. yeah, that's how you do previews in Nux too. And I can't find the Nux 3 version of that yet. Um, so those are the four things out there that I, I really need 
working in NUX3 for, for us yet. So it's still a bit early. And then as um, you know, you pointed out there with Daniel and the, and the ISG stuff, the docs are still, you know, early days. Um, I mean, still so much better than most, most docs, but there's still some important things kind of missing that can be a little bit confusing. So it's still, still a little early for us, I think, for NUX3, but end of life review three is like the end of the year. So like we're all having to kind of move eventually. End of life review three? Well, end of support for view two. View two. Okay. You said view yeah, three. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No. End of end of uh end of view two is the end of this year, I think. So end of support or are they just not developing it anymore? No more developer for it anymore. Like no more okay. versions, I don't think. Right. So um, interesting. Not that not that I sort of needed new versions of view recently, but that's happening. Cool. All righty. So we covered quite a bit of ground here. Again, a lot of basic stuff, but uh, hopefully useful to some people out there. Um, I always enjoy talking about inertia and view for sure, just because of, of how nice it is and how inertia handles quite a bit of, of uh, things for you and does it very quickly too. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about things other than view, or we can talk about view and tech if we want. Just depends on the day. Uh, I'll go first today. Um, granted, well, I'm doing the high point of the, every podcast before we get to the guest, but I think Drew understands that. Um, <laughs> uh, one is an article that was brought to my attention by Chuck Wood, the guy who owns Top End Devs. Uh, it's from the British Psychological Society, so it's very proper and scientific. And it's about the awesomeness of dad jokes. Uh, it's called Dad Jokes. That's the way I roll. Uh, that's E-Y-E roll. And it just talks about really some sort of scientific studies about dad jokes and why dads do them. And, and uh, one of them, I thought the most interesting things, uh, conclusions in the article um, is do they serve a pedagogic function? I think I said that right. Um, in other words, do they help your kids learn? Uh, and so this paragraph says, in light of this, it's worth considering dad jokes as a pedagogical tool that may serve a beneficial function for the very children who roll their eyes at them by continuing tell their, telling their children jokes that are so bad that they're embarrassing. Fathers may push their children's limits for how much embarrassment they can handle. They show their children that embarrassment isn't fatal which is something I prove on this podcast every week. Um, so anyway, it's uh, interesting. It's sort of funny to see a scientific treatise on dad jokes. Oh, so you're, you're now backed by science. I Steve. am backed by science. <laughs> and my, uh, when I showed this to my daughters, like, Oh man, my, or my family, like, Oh man, that's just going to give him more incentive, <laughs> you know? So yep. <laughs> Please, Dad, stop telling the dad to, hey, I'm backed by science. Now. Yeah, I, I, this is I good for you. It. Here, read this. <laughs> right? So, and then speaking of the dad jokes, it's time for the the dad jokes of the week. Oh, you're just going to um, skip over my picks? We're going straight into No, no, no. No, no. We're oh. going to go to... We'll, oh, we'll we'll do dad jokes first. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said it'd be sort of a letdown after. Ah, uh, yes. Nice. Don't take it personally. <laughs> and and by the way, I, I do have to say uh, that last podcast when I had to drop out and you Daniel took over... I'll give you an A for effort and, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, listeners will know that I appreciate the cow joke. 
uh, when it comes to dad jokes. Um, so my new one is, what do you call a group of cows? It's a bit of a stretch, but just roll with it. What do you call a group of cows playing poker on a mountaintop? Oh, I know. A high stakes game. <laughs> right? And then, um, speak, switching to movies, there's supposed to be a new time travel movie coming out next year. It was actually pretty good. <laughs> right? And then, uh, I got a call from a school the other day. They said, your son has been telling lies. I said, tell him he's bloody good at it because I don't have any kids. Thank you. Those are the dad jokes of the week. So what do you got for us for picture? Uh, not as good as that. Um, uh, just a really interesting thing we've been doing this week at Funkhouse. Uh, we've been playing around with variable fonts, which if anyone's not familiar with what those are, is, you know, normal font file will have a bunch of variations. You'll have, you know, regular italic. You might have, you know, even more oblique or even more angled ones. And then you might have like bold and regular and medium and super heavy and these different weights. Well, what variable fonts are is a font that there is no set, you know, variations and there's no set weight. It's a scale. So you can control how thick it is all the way up. It's not just like in increments. You can go one, you know, one pixel at a time, basically in, in weight. And same with slant. So how, what angle, like you don't have to just be like italic. You can be zero degrees, one degree, two degree, you know, you can go negative and positive. And so you can have fonts go in all kinds of directions. Um, very useful for just like the, the size because you only need one font file. You don't need to load all these different variations, but also allows you to do some really cool stuff, like change the weight of the font and change the angle and all this sort of stuff based on different effects. And like, so we're, we're, we're building a website for a client um, that is called Magnetic Fields. So it's magnetic. And so we've made the font sort of follow the cursor around like a magnet, you know? And so it moves around and looks really cool. Um, so variable fonts. Uh, and there's a website you can see this in action uh, that's also just a really cool website to look at called gt-planer.com, pl a-N-A-R.com. Mm. Uh, and that's the name of the font. And, and it's a variable font. And they've built this like cool micro site that shows off all of the different things you can do with it. And it's pretty cool. It's worth checking out. Oh, wow. That's an old school website. Yeah. It looks like a sort of Star Wars-y video game from the 90s, but it's all showing oh, off yeah. font. It's really cool. Reminds me of, yeah, that or Asteroid. Well, no, not quite. Yeah. So, so it's only this particular font that is variable? Is well, that, no, this is just... the first time we've used one, but there, anyone, there's a bunch of different variable fonts now. And, and I believe, oh. you know, I think the, the future of web fonts will be all variable um, uh, eventually. Yeah. yeah, it's all ball bearings these days. <laughs> we quote, if anybody knows what that is, you get bonus points. All righty. So with that, we will wrap up this episode on you. Thank you for coming at us from the wilds of New York. And uh, good to have you again. And we will talk at y'all next time on Views on View.